Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today. And guest, special guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, and Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is April the 20th, and on this day in 1980, the Castro regime announced that all Cubans wishing to emigrate to the United States were free to board boats at the port of Muriel, west of Havana, launching the Muriel Boat Lift. The first 125,000 Cuban refugees from Muriel reached Florida the next day. The boat lift was precipitated by housing and job shortages caused by the ailing Cuban economy, leading to simmering internal tensions on the island. On April the 1st, Hector Sanutiz and four other drove a bus through the fence at a Peruvian embassy and were granted political asylum. Cuban guards on the street opened fire. One guard was killed in the crossfire. The Cuban government demanded the five be returned for trial in the uh, dead guard's death. But when the Peruvian government refused, Castro withdrew his guards from the embassy on Good Friday, April the 4th. By Easter Sunday, April the 6th, some 10,000 Cubans crowded into the lushly landscaped gardens at the embassy requesting asylum. Other embassies, including those of Spain and Costa Rica, agreed to take a small number of people. But suddenly, two weeks later, Castro proclaimed the Port of Muriel would open, be open to anyone wishing to leave as long as they had someone to pick them up. Cubans' exiles in the United States rushed to hire boats in Miami and Key West and rescue their relatives. In all, 125,000 Cubans fled to the United States shores in about 1,700 boats, creating a large wave of people that overwhelmed the United States Coast Guard. Cuban guards had packed boats uh, after boat with consi without considering safety, making some of the overcrowded boats barely seaworthy. 27 migrants died, including 14 on an overloaded boat that capsized on May the 17th. The boat lift uh, also began to have a negative impact on uh, United States President Jimmy Carter when it was discovered that a number of the exiles had been released from Cuban jails and mental health facilities. Many were placed in refugee camps, while others were held in federal prisons to undergo deportation hearings. Of the 125,000 Mariolitos, as the refugees became the known who landed in Florida, more than 1,700 were jailed and another 587 were detained until they could find sponsors. The exodus was finally ended by mutual agreement between the United States and Cuban governments in October of 1980. Muriel Boatlift. Such an interesting impact at the time. Nothing compared to what we're seeing at our borders uh, on the, the Mexico border. A uh, little public announcement here. The Naples Concert Band is a non-for-profit organization. The website is naplesconcertband.org. Uh, they're entertaining the community. It's the 50th anniversary this Sunday, April the 24th, in Cambier Park. It's happening, let's see, what time? Uh, 2 p.m. They've got a great musical director, and they've got music, great music lined up. 
organized in uh, January 1972. The Naples Concert Band originally consisted of 10 musicians playing to hundreds of musical lovers. Now it's in its 50th season. The Naples Concert Band has grown to over 90 musicians who often, often play to thousands during peak season in Naples. Uh, there's no charge to attend at Cambria Park 2 p.m. on Sunday, uh, although they will be taking a collection for their scholarship program if you want to contribute. Well, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has returned to the bench following an illness and hospitalization that has kept him from his work for roughly a month. Uh, thank goodness he's okay. Thomas, 73, appeared Monday in person for oral arguments on several cases. The conservative jurist has been hospitalized at Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, D.C. on March the 18th when he was treated for infection and discharged a week later. He didn't have, uh, yeah, he had flu-like symptoms but didn't have COVID. A wave of critics demanded that Thomas recuse himself from the case and any January 6th related cases moving forward because of the direct impact rulings may have on his wife. His wife, of course, being a conservative and also uh, speaking out about uh, so, some issues. I suspect we won't see uh, Clarence Thomas recusing himself anytime soon on any of these issues. He's an independent thinker. With some uh, Democrats siding with Republicans on Title 42 border security, the Biden administration is now weighing extending the restrictions of illegal and asylum-based border entries. The administration's plan is to end Title 42 expulsions on May the 23rd. It may be delayed, according to Axios. Uh, vulnerable Democrats in the border states and districts have expressed concern that immigration might improve uh, might prove to be a difficult issue to overcome in the November midterm elections. Title 42 is a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention border security policy, permitting border authorities to turn away those who have crossed the border illegally and those seeking asylum unilaterally due to health risk amid the pandemic. It was started under then-President uh, Donald Trump. The direct contrast of positions set up in a midterm election issue and one in the morning consult political poll show has a majority of voters backing Republicans as 56% of majority uh, oppose Biden's ending the border policy. Title 42 is a public health authority from the CDC, and we continue to defer to the CDC on its use and how long how it will be in place, that according to a House White House spokesperson. When it's no longer in place, the migrants who attempt to enter the country unlawfully will be placed in immigration proceedings, Asylum and other legal immigration pathways should remain available to those seeking protection, but those who don't qualify will promptly be removed to their countries of origin. Senator Gary Peters, is a Democrat in Michigan, is neither a 2022 vulnerable Democrat nor a border state politician, but he's in the chair of the Democrat Senatorial Committee and is defending Democrats' opposition to the immigrant lifting of Title 42. Unless we have a well-thought-out plan, I think it's something that we should be revisiting and perhaps delayed, Peter said to the Washington Examiner. I'm going to defer judgment on this until I give the administration an opportunity to fully articulate what that plan is, said Peters. Good idea. So this is the first time that we're actually seeing Biden consider what the good of the American people, in my opinion, uh, he's uh, actually reconsidering this Title 40, uh, 42 reversal. I think, though, that some of the damage is already done because the words out and streams of immigrants are coming up uh, through Mexico, including Ukrainians, of all things, coming into Mexico uh, 20,000, 30,000 at a time per day. 
By the way, the Biden administration said Tuesday will likely appeal a federal judge's ruling that struck down COVID-19 mask mandates on planes and other forms of public transportation. The Department of Justice and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention disagree with the district court's decision and will appeal, the DOJ said in a statement, subject to CDC's conclusion that the order remains necessary for public health. If CDC concludes that a mandatory order remains necessary for public health after the assessment, the Department of Justice will appeal the district court's decision, the DOG said. The Department of Justice said Tuesday it will continue to believe that the order requiring masking in the transportation corridor is a valid exercise of the authority of Congress, which has given uh, CDC to protect the health, uh, public health. This is an important authority. The department will continue to the work to preserve, the agency said. Mazel's ruling, and she's the judge, uh, came days after the CDC decided it would keep its mask mandate in place until at least May 3rd, while it assessed the current threat of COVID infections on hospital capacity. COVID cases, hospitalizations, and deaths have dropped drastically in the United States in comparison with the winter months when the Omicron variant fueled a massive surge in infections. The CDC has recently loosened some of its other health guidelines in accordance with those trends. Now, I don't, most people do not have an appetite to go back to masking. Most people are very grateful that this is over. And uh, Mizell, by the way, ruled that they don't have the authority to even put it in place because of uh, the lack of Congress's backing on this. They, in other words, they need a stronger law put in place in order to give the CDC this authority. So uh, I don't think they have much of a chance to overturn this, but it's a reversal of position. At first, Joe said, we're not going to pursue this at all. And then he said, well, uh, if the CDC says it's a good idea, we'll pursue it through the Department of Justice. Tone deaf. Uh, Joe, the most popular president in United States history on Tuesday, traveled to New Hampshire and visited the Port Authority at the Portsmouth Harbor. 81 million people voted for Joe Biden. He was created by Trump supporters in the state he supposedly won in 2020. He virtually had no supporters there. I'm not kidding. You could see the picture of the chairs. of uh, Nobody came and, and uh, listened to him. And there were Trump supporters. Trump supporters had signs that said, let's go, Brandon. And who put corn pop in charge of infrastructure? <laughs> Joey delivered remarks on his infrastructure law that funded a project to widen the harbor's uh, turning basin. And as usual, his speech was a total disaster. Biden blamed Vladimir Putin for high inflation rates and falsely claimed that the price of gasoline was a discussion at the kitchen table when he was a child. Biden also repeated one of his favorite lies. Nobody making less than $400,000 a year will see a single penny on their taxes raised under his socialist plan. Then he dropped this gem. I'm so tired of trickle-down economics. I never found that it trickled down on top of my head very much. I was listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I didn't think you should make money while you're in office, said Biden. A little change of heart now. Biden got sick of being poor, so he used his crackhead son, Hunter, as his bag man in their international influence peddling and money laundering operation. Going on right now. Boy, it's been public information out there. Hopefully the wheels of justice will continue to grind on this. Finally, President uh, Joe Biden has informed President, our former President Barack Obama that he intends to seek re-election in 2024. 
Biden wants to run, and he's clearly letting everybody know, said one source familiar with the conversations. The source maintained that Biden is convinced that he's the most likely Democrat candidate who could defeat a possible challenge by former President Donald Trump. I believe he thinks that the only one who can beat Trump, the source said. I don't think that he's there uh, in any in, in the Democrat Party who can beat Trump, and that's the biggest factor. In other words, he thinks he's the best man to do this. Last month, during a press conference in Brussels, Biden said he would be very fortunate to run against Trump. Again, how tone-deaf can he possibly be? Most people don't want him in office right now, as it is. And in addition, retiring lawmaker Adam Kissinger told Huffington Post that this week that he may take on President Trump for the 24, uh, 24 primary. Could he even make it to the stage? And didn't we already have a anti-Trump former congressman from Illinois put, pull this stunt? A reporter from Huffington Post asked Kissinger, if he wants to run against Trump, I would love it. I really would, Kissinger said, his eyes instantly widening. Even if he crushed me, like in a primary, to be able to stand up and call out the garbage is just a necessary thing. Regardless of who it is, I think it'd be fun, Kissinger said. Oh, he doesn't know what fun is. My goodness. What a lightweight. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual liberty, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Uh, so for the last several weeks, we've been talking about how some of the decisions from the Supreme Court since the New Deal have expanded uh, the or permitted permitted the uh, expansion of federal government uh, because of kind of rewriting the Constitution in some ways. I wanted to move to national security versus civil liberties and the natural tension that exists there. We've heard a lot about drones and targeted assassinations. What are the rules, if any? Well, when Obama was president, the Justice Department issued a white paper, said that he was authorized to kill any American citizen, and, and of course American citizens ordinarily have constitutional protections, non-citizens may or may not, they have a lesser degree of protection, but he was authorized to kill even American citizens if an informed uh, high-level official decided that that person to be killed was a senior operational leader of uh, al-Qaeda or any associated force like ISIS, and presented an imminent threat of attack, providing that other governments weren't able or unwilling uh, to, to act. So we didn't know which officials could make that decision. We didn't know which leaders could be assassinated or what even the words imminent attack meant. Uh, according to the white paper, the president had no need to consult Congress or the courts, or even tell uh, the public before or after uh, the killings occur. So uh, that raises the constitutional question. And, of course, the Fifth Amendment ensures that U.S. persons, obviously, including citizens, can't be denied due process. And the process that's due is highest when the person is a citizen. It doesn't mean that you can't assassinate citizens. You can under certain circumstances. For example, if you have a U.S. citizen who's threatening to kill a hostage, uh, then obviously he can be stopped by law enforcement authorities. And if an American serves in a foreign army that's at war with the United States, then plainly uh, he would be a a legitimate uh, target. The most recent uh, uh, question arose with uh, the Iranian general 
uh, Soleimani, who was assassinated uh, in January of, 19, of uh, 2020 by drone, uh, he was not a U.S. citizen. So it did not raise the constitutional issues that I just mentioned. Now, that's a scary thought. I mean, you can think about Pete Buttigieg deciding that somebody's an extremist and having him knocked off by a drone. So, I mean, hopefully right. that's... Or, or really anybody making that decision unilaterally uh, without advice and counsel from other um, responsible officials. Yeah, exactly. I hope that's all being challenged. So how about the assassination of uh, Anwar Amlaki, uh, allegedly part of al-Qaeda? He was also a United States citizen. Yeah, in my opinion, the, uh, the killing of uh, Alaki was uh, unlawful. Uh, nobody identified a threat from him that was imminent. Uh, he wasn't directly involved in 9-11. He may have been an al-Qaeda agent, but that's not the same as being a soldier engaged in combat. So an assassination might be lawful if uh, Alaki was actively fighting on a battlefield, but that doesn't mean it's lawful when he's plotting attacks uh, from Yemen, where there were no hostilities in process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that he couldn't or shouldn't have been assassinated. Uh, he was a bad guy. And yeah. when the U.S. citizens are targeted, however, uh, then more processes do. And that doesn't mean you have to bring them to a trial before a federal court, but maybe the equivalent of sort of a, an assassination warrant that requires some non-executive branch official uh, with uh, some relevant expertise to certify that there's a sufficient cause, much as we have when we issue other warrants in a criminal context. That's so interesting, Bob. Well, thank you for that. So sections of the Patriot Act that authorized the NSA surveillance expired and were replaced by the USA Freedom Act. What was that fight about? Well, we had these disclosures by um, Snowden that focused on the collection of non-content phone records. Uh, This is data. Sometimes it's called um, metadata, which is when you you called, how long you were on the phone, uh, what number you called, but not what you said. Uh, And that was authorized, that that kind of data collection, for virtually every American uh, under the business records provision of the Patriot Act. So no matter what you think about Snowden, uh, he sparked, I think, a long overdue debate regarding uh, the NSA and its powers. And what we didn't know was the full scope of the surveillance, what could be done with the data, uh, what triggers a further look at the content itself, how long could the data be retained, who had access to it, what oversight procedures were in place, and what would be the remedies uh, for abuse. Snowden brought all that to light. So even if he uh, was a, uh, even if you considered him a traitor, he did perform a useful service in revealing some of these potential abuses. Yeah, I kind of lost tra- track of him. Is he still in Russia? Yes. Wow. Uh, in, in, uh, I believe he's in Britain at the moment. In Britain, okay. Or maybe um, actually, I'm not sure about that. Uh, you may be right that he's in Russia. Yeah. Well. In any event, it's kind of interesting how the news, the velocity of the change in news and how things lose importance over time. That's pretty important. We should uh, keep track of that. So what has the Supreme Court said about the NASA or NSA surveillance? Well, the the court held about uh, 45 years ago that we we don't have a privacy right in this non-content data. 
because the phone companies gather that data. So you voluntarily relinquished it to the phone companies, and therefore you don't have a privacy right. But, you know, that, was, that case was before the NSA developed these sophisticated techniques that monitor everybody in all places at all times. Uh, and that, that case, the Smith case, was a one-time targeted request uh, for uh, data regarding an individual suspect in a drug investigation. Uh, by contrast, the, you know, the NSA program was a daily indiscriminate dump of data yeah. uh, from people that weren't suspected of any wrongdoing. And most important, the government did not cite a single instance in which that data actually was useful in stopping an imminent attack. We had this report from an independent privacy and civil liberties oversight board, and the board stated, and this is a quote, we have not identified a single instance involving a threat to the U.S. in which the program made a concrete difference in the outcome of a counterterrorism investigation or directly contributed to the discovery of a previously unknown terrorist plot or the disruption of a terrorist attack. So there was some question about the utility of the data, much less the legality of gathering the data. So interesting. Sounds kind of like the TSA at airports. <laughs> Have there been recent court rulings on the metadata program? Yeah, a court of appeals uh, unanimously ruled that the metadata program didn't meet the Patriots Act requirement that uh, the data be relevant to a terrorist investigation. Um, but, you know, that was a statutory ruling, not a constitutional ruling. The court uh, went further and said that Congress could not have intended such an open-ended definition of what was relevant because Congress really didn't even know about the scope of the program. It wasn't even aware of the scope of the program. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I hope you'll visit the website and get some tickets. It is golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. I always look forward to Wednesdays and starting off with some good news from Andrew Joppa. Any good news for us? Well, I, I try to find it, and sometimes it's difficult. Today was one of them, but nevertheless, there's always some good news if we're willing to look for it. Uh, first of all, let me tell your audience that right now I am taking off my COVID mask. Normally, I wear these during your show. Okay, I'm taking it off now, but I want your audience to know they can continue to wear theirs if they so desire. Okay, So uh, that's a, a breakthrough for me. Uh, I typically wear this in the shower, and uh, this is the first time I've had it off in almost two years. Okay, so. Which, by the way, Bob, uh, comedic relief aside, uh, brings me to my first piece of good news, and that was uh, Catherine Kimball Mazel's uh, ruling that the um, the mask mandate for travel was was unconstitutional, certainly without outside their statutory allowance. Uh, and uh, therefore, every everyone flying on a plane no longer has to wear a mask. And I, I saw several videos, and you probably have too, where uh, it showed the uh, the passengers in a plane reacting to the announcement that they didn't have to wear their mask. Just uh, exuberant, cheering, and, uh, and joyful joyful response, which I think is uh, probably more the, the general view of Americans than, uh, than not. Uh, but the new variants of... Uh, uh, of COVID that are coming out, I think a piece of good news, actually, Bob, is that uh, no one cares about it anymore. I, we do care about anything that is uh, a possible source of of, uh, of, of illness, obviously. Right. But it's not the same as it was certainly at the beginning. Uh, at the beginning, every American knew every variant of uh, of COVID as it as it appeared. Uh, now it's it's uh, falling into the background where it should be and perhaps always should have been. So I think it's good news that we're beginning to learn how to live with with the, the COVID uh, diseases, Bob. Well, I'll take it a step further. I, I believe the federal government overstepped uh, its bounds by putting mask mandates, mask uh, 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 lockdowns, all these types of measures that I believe are totally unconstitutional. I think it's fine that the CDC can give us warnings, can tell us about the dangers of the virus, but it's really up to us to make our decisions and how we want to live our lives. And uh, I'm sure on some level, if something is contagious enough, they they have a right to to, uh, do what they can to protect the public. But ultimately, they can't usurp individual liberty in order to pull off this stuff. 
Well, they shouldn't, but certainly they've done that over the last two years, Bob. Yep. Uh, but I think if you look at, uh, and I have looked at the worldwide statistics where uh, masks are the only variable that are being uh, assessed, uh, and there is absolutely no difference in outcomes between the uh, the countries where masks were absolutely rigidly mandated as compared to where there was no mandate for masks whatsoever. Uh, so again, it can be documented just in the in the real time uh, use of masks that have produced no no benefit that could be statistically measured. So you think after all of the the data was coming in, the science, as they always say, the science was there that they would have voluntarily withdrawn these mandates. Uh, but we can see now, obviously, what we've always said is that this was never about uh, protecting people from illness. Right. This was always about government power, Bob. Absolutely. Uh, I heard one doctor say that uh, actually wearing a mask is like uh, uh, building a chain link front fence in order to keep mosquitoes out. So, <laughs> so hey, Andy, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on what's happening with uh, social media and the Elon Musk caper. Well, I have a few other pieces of good news, but let, let me talk about Musk as long as as long as we're there now. Uh, uh, I have a lot of mixed views about Elon Musk's involvement. I, first of all, I applaud him for his uh, apparent willingness to try to uh, make uh, introduce free speech into Twitter and uh, make it a general phenomenon of social media. Um, I, but I have mixed views. In other words, I do not think that Twitter will retain its its influence once it becomes an open platform. I think it'll become a cacophony of of, of noise. Uh, I think the left is not going to allow it to exist as an open platform. I think they'll do whatever they can to override its message. So, again, I'm not that's not a negative statement. I, I think what I'm describing really is that Twitter will probably be destroyed by 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 Musk's ownership. Uh, that's just my view. Obviously, I don't think anyone really can project into the future. Uh, I do add the thought. Uh, I have added the thought in some of my writings that if I had $43 billion, Bob, and I was interested in free speech in America, is this where I would spend it? Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe that $43 billion couldn't have been spent uh, in a more pr productive manner uh, to introduce into America a free speech platform, whether it was uh, buying out cable news stations or television stations or, or buying newspapers. But there must have been some other way to gain uh, free speech influence uh, in this country with $43 billion. And again, that's not to negate uh, Musk's involvement with this process, uh, but it does suggest, I think, there were wiser directions that could have been taken with that amount of money available, Bob. Yeah, uh, just these thoughts that I'd offer in, in, in response to that is, first of all, he wouldn't be spending $43 million. He's investing the money, and the probability is quite high. In my view, you say that it would lose its value. I don't think so. I think uh, based on what I see at Twitter, I think it would actually make the platform more robust if more people could participate. Instead of being an echo chamber for liberal views, it all of a sudden becomes an opportunity for exchange of good ideas. And uh, I, I quite frankly think that uh, if he owned it, he has the brand, he has the participation right now, I think it actually could uh, really blossom in terms of uh, value. So I have a different view about that, but it's, uh, I, I certainly understand what you're saying. Bob, I, I can't argue with you because, again, uh, and I, again, I, as always, I prefer your optimism about this rather than my my uh, potential pessimism, I guess I would call it. Uh, but it, but in this particular case, uh, 
I think you don't see the left as being as devious as I see the left. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, I think you do, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the left is not going to allow this uh, this cancer, as, as they would call it, in the middle of these controlled uh, social media platforms. I, I don't know exactly how they go about uh, interfering with it, thwarting uh, uh, must intent, uh, but I can't see the left just accepting uh, this this platform in the middle of their absolute control worldwide uh, of the speech phenomenon as it exists right now, Bob. So uh, I'm not optimistic. I'm never optimistic when I, I believe the left will, in fact, exert it. I, I, I would make the same point, by the way, for uh, in regards to the 2022 midterms. And I, I heard Tucker Carlson the other night be much more emphatic with the point that we must have legal elections in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, all of these optimistic are are going to go down the down the drain. Uh, that was the first time I heard anybody really making that the primary statement uh, as to what the concern must be for the 2022 uh, midterms. Uh, and I guess I feel sort of the same way in a, uh, a different environment, of course, but the same way about uh, must involvement with Twitter. Uh, I think that we have to be un- understand that the left will do everything they can to interfere with the, the, the positive implications of what Musk is trying to accomplish. Yeah, I, I certainly I, just to your original point that we don't know what's going to happen. But I do. I, I do think uh, if nothing else, Elon Musk is going to draw a lot of very important attention to the public square and to what's happening with free speech here in the United States by his activity. How this will all end up. But I, I'm quite frankly fascinated and appreciative of his efforts. Yeah, I think one of the problems I have with this is I tend to think of $43 billion as a lot of money. <laughs> But I'm well, not sure it, it's Elon it's Musk it's it's 5% it it's way. it's 5 Although I do I've heard several times that he is cash short uh, and will have to take out uh, loans yeah. uh, against Tesla for example or some of his other holdings to uh, to fund this process. I'm not sure of the implications of that or the the mechanics of that. I'm not that sophisticated in that area but uh, you know this is a, an incredible amount of money for anyone and uh, me <laughs> My, my goodness, it's a it's a number that I can't uh, I can't even I can't even imagine. But. Well, I, I I can assure you that we, you, there could be investment bankers lined up in order to help fund this and create the opportunity for him. So, uh, no shortage of a of a buying ability for uh, Elon Musk. Well, but you know, if we if we look at the lack of fiduciary capacity or trust that's being exercised by the board uh, at uh, at um, Twitter. Uh, I, I think we can we can see this being extended to a uh, a circumstance where they will uh, uh, throw themselves on the sword uh, for progressive causes. So, you know, I again, I don't want to be redundant with this, but uh, I, I am I am not sure. And, and you've made this point just now. I'm not sure how this is going to play out uh, in, in the in the immediate uh, future. Uh, uh, most optimistically, we're going to have a, a platform where free speech will be there and will be a, a, a counterbalance to all the nonsense from the left. Uh, and if that's what happens, then, uh, you know, God bless uh, Elon Musk for, for accomplishing that. So, you know, that is that is my hope. My hope, as always, Bob, is that you are right and I'm wrong. <laughs> Andy, uh, by the way, uh, apparently uh, DeSantis has said he's concerned about what's happening with Twitter. Just raises the specter, perhaps, with all the pension funds in Florida that may own Twitter stock. For example, if uh, he would uh, be willing to provide proxies for uh, uh, Elon Musk to, t- to use those shares in order to gain control of Twitter. You know, that's the other opportunity that he has is actually to go to private investors and say, look, if you give me your proxy, this is the position that I'm going to take. 
uh, he could actually do it without buying the shares. Right. The other position at the census is that he may uh, uh, cause foreigners to divest from Twitter. So, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. I think the census, uh, uh, admirably so, heroically so, is taking some very strong positions against these uh, organizations that have uh, moved in progressive directions to the detriment of, of, of the citizens of the country and uh, specifically in the state. We can see uh, DeSantis uh, coming up very big against uh, against Disney. Uh, and I think that DeSantis is just really uh, becoming an extremely admirable figure in American life. Uh, if, if Trump does not want the nomination in 2024, I would I would welcome the the uh, the nomination of Ron DeSantis. Bob. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Andy, I want to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppe. He's a professor. He's also the author of a terrific read off topic for today's discussion, but it's called Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. 
Always good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, uh, the, right now, the president wants to do away with Title, I guess it, Title 42. In Title any, 42, yeah. Yeah, any, in any event, uh, this would, again, open the uh, dam for all kinds of immigration. I think it already has, quite frankly. The word is out, and people are coming in droves up to the Mexican border, Ukrainians and others. Uh, and uh, But now the, the, the president's having second thoughts because a lot of Democrats are pushing back on this in these, uh, obviously in the states that are in Phoenix and or in Arizona and uh, New Mexico. I want to get your thoughts on immigration. Well, of course, the Democrats are beginning to look at the 2022 midterms, and you know they've always been aware of what the the popular opinion is, particularly among the Latino community in the Southwest. They they are really for for strong border enforcement. So uh, these Democrats are not doing this because they suddenly uh, uh, found religion. These these are people that uh, know that to get elected, they may have to move in these directions. Beto O'Rourke. Uh, moved in that direction. And I think uh, Kelly is moving in that direction. So, you know, it, it's obviously good when they, they do it. But I think the, the reason is, is is certainly not one of an acknowledgement of the problem of immigration, but right. uh, the problem of getting reelected. Uh, if we look at the the border right now, Title 42, they're estimating 15 to 20 percent minimum increase uh, in the amount of, of border crossings as a derivative of, uh, of uh, eliminating Title 42. Uh, this is uh, certainly going to be a, a major problem. Uh, I just make one point today on, on your show, Bob, and, and the point is that I don't believe that we're going to stop the immigration at the border. Now, what does that mean in terms of, of anything extended beyond that thought? Uh, but I think the Congress can create such a draconian atmosphere internally in America that it makes it a hostile environment for anyone who enters this country illegally. Right now, it is not a hostile environment. Uh, if, in fact, we, Congress, who has the absolute uh, constitutional right to create naturalization uh, laws, regulations, that's, that's their duty, not only their right, uh, but essentially, if, for example, no one entering this country illegally could ever gain citizenship, could ever gain the right to vote, uh, that they would not be able to send money home as long as they're receiving uh, funds, support funds of any sort uh, from the government at any, any level. And I could go through a whole list of things that would create a hostile environment internally. We're always going to be humane. We're going to not allow them to starve to death. We're not going to allow them uh, to die of, of treatable diseases. But on the other hand, we could make this a very hostile place for anyone entering this country. And, and I know it's a very difficult thing to, uh, to uh, suggest as, a, as an answer, but I think at some point in time, in the defense of American citizens, we must, in fact, create that hostility as a mechanism to, to minimize the amount of people willing to come in. And by the way, I don't want to get away from it. You, you alluded to the number of terrorists on our no-fly list uh, that have entered. I think the number I heard yesterday was 60. This mm -hmm. is 60 people who have already been placed on our terrorist no-fly list, and they were intercepted at the border. That is only the number we intercepted. It doesn't even include the, the totality of what might be the number of, of terrorists that are penetrating our, our border box. So I think we have to do something dramatic about this. Uh, and right now, uh, my first entry into politics in this area, at least, uh, was the immigration uh, uh, issues with Arizona and Obama back in 2009, I guess. Uh, and it's worse now, Bob, 12, 13 years later than it was then. 
So this is not a situation that is that is improving. They would improve again if, if Trump became the president or DeSantis became the president. Uh, but again, once that's over, I think it would return to the same type of, of Democrat controls uh, that would, would create the same extended problem. Mm. So uh, I don't have a real answer, but I do believe that a hostile internal environment uh, would, in fact, be a, a significant statement uh, as to our intent uh, in dealing with the uh, with the illegal immigrants. Yeah, so I, I would say this, that uh, here in the United States, our birth rate is very low. So we need immigrants here in the United States. We need legal immigrants. And we should be easy for people to apply for uh, United States entry. They should be able to, to uh, come here. But we should it should be merit-based. We should allow people to come to the United States that we want here, not just anyone, and certainly not terrorists or criminals or, or any folks of that ilk. Uh, the problem is that right now we have illegal immigration. We need to make it impossible to enter the country illegally. And I realize that that's uh, an overstatement, but we have to make it not, not only hostile, but make it a very, very difficult for people to do that uh, at great risk, at their own risk of uh, not only their, uh, their, uh, their health and well-being, but also their financial situation as well. Well, we have to remember that the second largest economic flow of funds into Mexico is people entering this country and sending money back in. So uh, if we could restrict that alone, that might be a, a significant uh, blow. Uh, if we're talking about the, most of the nations in the world in terms of their immigration policies, almost all of them have meritocracies. There is some positive quality the person brings with them uh, that would enhance the country that they're immigrating to. Uh, and I think we need to have some variant of a meritocracy. If it was simply, Bob, to uh, to demand that they can speak English, just that simple requirement, mm -hmm. I think would dramatically change uh, the, the construct uh, of our immigrant population. Uh, certainly, it would it would change the legal immigrants uh, dramatically, Bob. Interesting comment. So y you've uh, recently brought up a book that I uh, read uh, and actually had the author on the on the show. Charles Murray wrote a book called Facing Reality, just a very interesting read. And it's kind of surfaced in uh, your your uh, writings as well. Well, again, back uh, back when he first came out with his first major work, The Bell Curve, uh, I had uh, done a public presentation at my university on that. Uh, that was back at a time when when you could deal with controversial material like Murray's. Uh, and again, I didn't I never found his work controversial, but certainly to the uh, to the uh, racial radicals, it was. Uh, but I found that his book, The uh, Facing Reality, uh, was so precise in how he uh, defined his terms and uh, how he uh, defended his his content. Uh, the science behind what he offered was was just very profound. Uh, and for your audience that isn't familiar with the, the general thesis of Charles Murray, he simply said, uh, I make it sound so easy. Uh, he simply said that on aggregate, on, on, the, on the average, on the mean, the African-American community underperforms against the white community. The white community underperforms against the Asian community. Every single documentation of uh, IQ, basic intellect, has documented this phenomenon. Murray goes out of his way, though, to suggest that this has no meaning when assessing any one individual. Right. But what he does say is since so much of society's rewards are driven by the available IQ of a person seeking uh, especially professional-level employment, 
that it will automatically produce uh, an, an uh, unequal uh, outcome in those areas, not because of racism or ethnicity, but primarily because there is, on average, this significant difference in IQ for the African-American population as compared to the white population. And let me just repeat, Murray goes out of his way, spends chapters at documenting that this comment has nothing to do with any one individual in that population. It is not a source of, of, of an ability to condemn anyone. Uh, he says what it is is a return to is uh, evaluating each individual as an individual. Yep. Murray says he would not have even entered into this discussion at all, except for the consistent group alignment uh, that we've seen and the government's propensity to moving towards uh, a group uh, uh, definitions and, and laws defending those groups. So Murray was, in his own words, was driven into this type of discussion, not because he wanted to be there, but it was necessary as a counterbalance uh, to the group affiliations that were defining America uh, when he put the book into press, I think in, in 2021. Yeah, it's a terrific read. I encourage anyone to read it. It certainly raises the question about whether we should have affirmative action and the like at all. Again, uh, the name of the book is Facing Reality by Charles Murray. Uh, I want to uh, continue the conversation. Can you stick around, Andy? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, I want to get your thoughts uh, on any update with regard to Ukraine. Well, uh, just recently, the last week, uh, President Trump has made a statement. It's just such a, uh, a wonderfully simple statement. But he says he can't understand why there isn't a movement towards a negotiated settlement. Uh, he says, as it, as it exists right now with the, uh, the reinforcement with weaponry uh, of the Ukraine by the West, uh, with Russia amplifying its assault, particularly in the eastern provinces, uh, that at the end of the day, everyone's going to be dead. And I think it's it certainly is uh, it's a uh, hyperbolic statement, but I, I think it, it makes the point that what we're seeing here is the destruction of the infrastructure of uh, uh, of Ukraine, of its citizenry uh, that'll have uh, repercussions for uh, over a decade, certainly before uh, uh, Ukraine can possibly return to uh, to its pre-war status. Now, uh, there's no doubt that uh, Putin is. Uh, is the guilty party in initiating this war. A, a case can be made for his provocation, but uh, th certainly a war was not the, the answer. Uh, but as it, as it unfolds, uh, I see very few voices that are speaking for the Ukrainian people. I know theoretically uh, Zelensky is, but uh, as this war unfolds, it, it seems to be a matter of, uh, of one of two things, uh, serving the interests of the Ukraine oligarchs, uh, or in fact a... Um, a war of retribution and revenge against Putin uh, and, and the Russians. But I don't hear any voices really speaking uh, for the Ukraine people. Uh, I think they're fighting a valiant structure uh, um, battle. Um, when we hear of uh, mass graves being uncovered, who knows whether these mass graves are the, uh, as the, uh, the genocidal killing of, of citizens or just citizens uh, that were armed by the Zelensky government and actually were soldiers. So we, we don't know this, but what I do know right now is that what is happening in Ukraine cannot be open-ended. Uh, right now, Putin is focusing his activities on the eastern provinces. Uh, I think the final resolution in any negotiated settlement is going to have to create independence of you know, those eastern provinces and a secure land bridge to Crimea uh, and neutrality from the Zelensky government. Points that, that Putin made at the beginning of this process, I've made on your show before, uh, and I think those are the those are the answers. Now, for the people that say that Zelensky should not yield anything, then I'm afraid that the, the horrors of this, this battle in Ukraine uh, is going to go on. I hear all too many Americans that are becoming too flippant uh, with the desire to put American troops on the ground yeah. or American planes in the air. Uh, this is serious talk, and I think it's becoming uh, a, 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 a verbiage that is becoming more and more worrisome. Uh, and as the hyperbolic descriptions of the Russian atrocities, and I think they're hyperbolic, I think there are some perhaps, but we don't know the extent of them, the depth of them. We do not know that. There's a fog of war. There's almost no information coming out of the eastern provinces right now. Uh, but I think we have to recognize that there is an intent to absolutely demonize Putin. Uh, I think there's an intent to keep this war going, uh, serving the interest of the West. I would say perhaps even serving Zelensky's interest. But without being redundant, no, with being redundant, 
I don't hear anyone speaking for the well-being of the Ukrainian people. I could not agree more. And in fact, uh, my concern is that it's being used as a political pawn in terms of uh, the 2022 elections. I wonder if anybody's concerned about the Ukrainian people. I think, quite frankly, Biden is probably more concerned about the elections than he is about what's happening internationally and, and the well-being of these people. Andy, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. I wish we had more time. Sometimes we'll have to. I, I wish we did have more time, Bob, and so we'll, we'll talk next week. Huh? Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence. Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's been a lot of fun today, and I just really appreciate you tuning in. Tomorrow we've got some great guests as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.